Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. This month, we're working on our big dreams. If you'll remember, at the very beginning of the month, for those of you who were here, you were invited to pick an area of your life that you want to make some big changes in. Maybe it's rekindling something that you did put aside years ago because of life getting troublesome or life getting big, and it seems like your dreams had to take a back seat. So those of you who are here know that you're working on some particular area in your life. Maybe it's a a great love affair. Maybe it's more abundance. Maybe it's a a wonderful new job. Or maybe it's getting along with relatives that have been difficult in your life. Each of you who have been here know what that one thing is that you're working on. And really it is reclaiming one of those dreams, one of those things that you wanted to have in life we're using this basic ideas of science of mind for inspiration. We're up to the chapters where Ernest Holmes talks about choices. Probably just about a year ago, I did a whole series on making good choices. And you'll remember that we have thousands of choices every day. In fact, you've already exercised, whether you're aware of it or not, probably a couple thousand choices just to get you here. Now, a lot of these are Choices kind of below the radar, right? Like when you got up, you chose to make coffee or not. You chose whether you did your brushed your teeth first or do you know what I mean? I mean, all the, the little things. And if you really looked at them second by second by second, you're making choices. Which, you know, which sock am I going to put on first? Oh, my God. You know, so, some of them, I admit, seem like more momentous choices than others. But still, they were choices that you made. And I would bet probably what? 80% of them maybe, you make without even thinking about it. Well, that was the talk a year and a half ago. I want to one-up that talk a little bit. I want, I want to move it up a notch and talk about making choices that most of us will have problems with, and that is choosing our emotions. How many people in this room think that we have control over choosing our emotions? See, yeah, yeah, just a few of us. And it makes sense to me, right? Because our impression of the world is most often that something happens and then our emotions kick in. Do you know what I mean? Like someone cuts us off on the freeway and oh boy, the anger raises up and we have that, well, okay, maybe you're more charitable than I am, but there, there's, that, there's that instant when I think I could just jam on the accelerator and oh boy, would they be taught a lesson. Of course, we'd all be in the hospital, but still, you know, it, it's like there's that instant, right? So it, that's kind of the way that we think about emotions a lot of the time, that something happens, and then the emotion just comes as the response. But I want you to actually think about this for a moment. Because there was a time when 16-year-old Larry King, learning how to drive in driver's ed, didn't actually know that getting caught off on the freeway was a bad or a rude thing. Think back to your early, those of you who drive, to your early driving career. The very first time that it happened, you kind of went, what just happened? That was the weirdest thing. I'm just going along and someone's in my lane. That could be dangerous. I wonder what they were thinking. (laughs) We have actually trained ourselves to be pissed off. 
when that happens. It wasn't our first reaction. Our first honest reaction was probably more disbelief or maybe a little worry, like this is a dangerous thing. Most of our feelings are actually learned behaviors, things that over many years and many experiences, they feel like a reaction now, though, don't they? Don't they feel like it just happens and you have no control over them? You actually created that. You actually created through observing other people. This is, this is what I'm supposed to feel like when someone dies. The whole, the whole loss period of grieving, the, the whole uh, feeling betrayed if a boyfriend or a girlfriend sees someone else. All of those, believe it or not, are learned behaviors. Another example from childhood. I love watching children because they don't know the rules yet, right? You'll send kids out to play, and one of them will say just the nastiest, horrible, most awful thing to another child, right? And you're like, <gasps> and, the, and the person that they said it to is apt to just say something like, well, that's not very nice, and then they go on playing, right? <laughs> I mean, as an adult, if someone said that to me, I'd be like, oh, the betrayal, you know, I'm going to harbor this for months and, you know, go to a psychiatrist or something because I'm devastated. I tell you, I'm devastated. And the children are like, oh my gosh, that wasn't very nice. And on they go. So my question to you is, if we want to live a more purposeful life, if we want to realize those big dreams we got to carry along not just our beliefs, but also our, our emotional body. Is everyone familiar with the 13th century Middle Eastern folklore hero, Mullah Nasruddin? I love Mullah Nasruddin stories, and I, I think I've done a couple of them before, but this one seems to fit in, and I'll explain why. So the local religious leader invited Mullah over for dinner one night. Nasruddin, not having eaten much that day, was famished when he got there, eager to eat as soon as possible. After two hours, however, the leader had not yet to offer Mullah anything, nothing to eat, and instead spoke nonstop about a variety of religious and spiritual topics. As Nasruddin got more and more annoyed with each passing minute, he finally interrupted the man and said, can I ask you something? Well, of course, Mullah, the religious leader answered, eager to hear some religious question that would prompt him into another story. Well, I was just wondering, Nasruddin asked, do any of the people in your stories ever eat? <laughs> and I guess my point is, if we want our lives to change, we need to start asking for what we want. We need to be able to seize on to those big dreams once again and move forward in them. We can't allow ourselves to be buffeted by people cutting us off on the freeway and we just go into an automatic mode of feeling a certain way or thinking a certain thing. We, in many ways, have been programmed into our lives of complacency and mediocrity. Oh, I hate saying that. When I look out in this group of people, I do not see mediocrity. That's not my vision of it. And yet when I talk to many of you, I have the sense that many of you feel a little bit stuck in what's going on in your lives, that, that those big dreams have not been realized, that there is something more that you're missing or something that you would like to express more in your life. And first of all, you have to know what it is. You have to be willing to ask for it, like Mola. If we just sit by, well, we may get what we want or we may not.
I still remember a, a young woman came to me uh, several times in a row over a period of many months wanting to bring more abundance into her life, wanting to see the richer side of life, to, to feel more a part of things. And, uh, and it was an interesting conversation because in a way she science-minded me to death. And let me, let me explain for a minute. Uh, it was like she was using my own words against me. Because <laughs> what we know in science of mind, right, is that as we think it's true, then we will see it on the outside of things. And so I was trying to counsel her on some of the things she could do to bring more abundance into her life. And she said, well, I just want to think it into existence. I'm just going to pray. I don't want to go out on any job interviews. Are you telling me that if I pray and sincerely believe that checks just won't come in the mail? Are you sure that the UPS man can't just deliver gold bricks and, you know, or, or that Amazon.com in two days can't bring me what I want? Why, why do I need to work at it? I remember a sermon, Larry, where you said, if you're working too hard, there's no reason for it, right? Enjoy your life. And I'm like, oh, the monster, the monster I have created. And the reason that this was monstrous, because, of course, it had the element of truth in it. We do believe that as we think, so it will be done unto us, as the master teacher taught, that our, our sincerely held beliefs and our ideals, that when we become them, when we, when we usher them into our heart and our mind first, that then the outside world responds. The trouble here was, the trouble was, she wasn't part of the picture. She was seeing herself outside of the picture. She just wanted to spend the money. Do you know what I mean? So she wanted to be rich for the purpose of having more money to spend, but she didn't want to be rich in terms of the responsibilities of investing and keeping money and having her finances in good order. In fact, I would talk to her about those things and she'd be like, oh, ugh, oh, it's taken all the fun out of money. And I'm like, well, maybe money isn't just the fun of spending it. Do you know what I mean? And so back to your dream for this month, back to your idea of where you want to move forward. I'm here to suggest something that's a little unpleasant. So bear with me. The unpleasantness is, if you want a different life, you have to be different in it. You can't just sit back and wait for it to appear. No matter how many prayer request cards you put in, and please do, it's fine, and no matter how many meetings you have with one of the practitioners or myself, if you are unwilling to budge in your own thinking, your own beliefs, in your, your own comportment around whatever issue it is, you are unlikely to make progress. Or you'll make progress and then have a huge backslide. Have you ever known someone that had like a windfall of money or, or out of the blue something really marvelous happened to them, but then you check in six months later and it's as though it never happened? You know, suddenly they're filing bankruptcy again or something like that. That's because they drew the thing to them, but they weren't actually part of it. They were still their old self, their old poverty self, their old unlovable self, whatever old self they were, couldn't sustain the newness, couldn't be a part of that new thing. And so where I want to start today, 
First of all, it's talking about emotions and then talking about personality. Because unless we're willing to change those two pieces of ourselves, we're going to be in trouble. So first, the story about emotions. I was trying to think of a good example, and it occurred to me, well, I don't have to go back in time very far. I have never been so pissed off as I was about three weeks ago. So I come in on a Friday, and the message light on the phone is doing its little blinking thing, and I listen to the message, and it's one of our neighbors. And very politely, she said, oh my gosh, you probably don't realize this, but you have, your church has uh, some uh, flammable yard debris sitting out along the curb. And I, it's so very, this is in the middle of the heat spell, right? I'm so very worried that some careless person might drop a cigarette butt in it. And, and you know, there are trees above and, you know, the whole alleyway could be ablaze in minutes. And uh, I wish she would take care of that. So that was the message and, and heartfelt. I thought uh, maybe a little extreme, but but heartfelt. And so I got on the phone to call her back. She'd left her name and her phone number and I called her back just to tell her, of course, we'll be on it. I'm so sorry. No worries. We'll take care of it. If we can't get to it right away, I'll at least hose it down. You know, no, so we'll, you know, we'll take care of it. So she's on the phone and suddenly it was, this isn't the nice woman that left the message. What happened to her? Because whom I'm talking to is kind of verbally abusive. And she's going on about the negligence of our church and we could be sued for having stuff out there and the, the city could have nuisance uh, reports filed on us and, uh, and, and, and that we need to, you know, I left you that message on Wednesday and it's Friday for God's sakes. And I'm like, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, and, I, and I have to tell you, good minister that I am, I started turning pink, well, I say pink, May maybe purple. <laughs> I start getting a little pissed off. And it wasn't so much what she was saying, it was the idea, in a way, that somehow on purpose we would be negligent or possibly, you know, being a nuisance in the neighborhood. I mean, I was, after all, I was calling to be nice to her, and she was responding in something quite not nice. So the conversation went on, and finally, finally I just said, okay, no worries, we'll, we'll take care of it, I promise. And she hung up on me. <laughs> so I'm trying to cool off. I'm, you know, our office is upstairs. I'm coming down the stairs, and luckily with each step on the stairs, I'm feeling a little calmer, and it's like, okay, you know, people have their deals. People are the way people are. It's not a reflection on me. And so I, I went out the little back door there to see how big the problem was, because honestly, I'm thinking, I'm out there now and then picking up trash, and I don't even remember any pile. I wonder if she even has the right place. I wonder if she, you know, so I open the door, and I look out, and well, and sure enough, left over from our fall cleanup is, is a stack of leaves and some twigs about, uh, about six inches high and maybe about eight feet long mounded up against the wall. And I'm like, oh, please. And then I look over, and what do I see? A woman taking pictures of me and the pile. She was so angry that she wanted photographic, she was afraid that I would clean it up before she could file a nuisance report with the city of Portland. Can you imagine the purpleness coming back? 
And here your sweet minister, I'm having the most vile thoughts go through my head. I mean, I'm feeling a little red just even talking about it, right? And, I ha- and I'm going to just confess right up front, as she started, wa- she'd said something a little rude, she turned and she started walking down the alley back to her house, and I took two steps after her because I had this urge to see where she lived to see if her yard was in such great shape itself. And it was in that instant that I realized I had been completely sucked in to her drama, right? There was nothing wrong with our place. There was nothing wrong with our alleyway. There was no danger present. There was nothing to be upset about except in her mind. And instantly, in, in, in just that instant of taking the two steps and being mad, just as quickly I did a complete mental makeover in my own head, and I had nothing but sympathy for her. Can you imagine what it would be like to be that person? so wound up and upset about trivial things in the neighborhood. Can you imagine what it would be like to be fearful that fires are going to break out in an alleyway over the summer and that you're not safe? How horrible it would be to think that you, you need to take photos of your neighbors and submit them to the city just so you can address some little problem that could be handled over the fence. And I just felt so sad for her. You have that same power. You are not at the mercy of things and people that push your buttons. It feels like a reaction, but there is that moment of thought that happens before the reaction. You can choose differently. You can choose something more wisely. We can actually choose what we think and what we react to. Now, I'm not suggesting that we don't feel things, and those of you who know me would realize I would never suggest that we don't feel things. Our feelings are there for a very important purpose. Even the the so-called ugly feelings like anger or violence, they're there. Those feelings in us are actually useful, right? I want to get good and mad if that will promote me to phone the police when someone is breaking into my home. I want to get good and mad if it means that I will leave an abusive relationship and go to a shelter. Feelings of anger, intense sorrow, those kinds of things are actually useful when they're useful. But I ask you, if someone cuts me off on the freeway, is this going to prompt me into some new driver's education program? (laughs) Or is it just me being pissed off for an hour? When I really get, ang- well, like the lady, right? That could, have, that could have had me upset for, what, a week probably, right? And I would have been like phoning the city, you know. No, we didn't do anything, right? <laughs> I could have get totally wound up in that. But would it have done anything useful? No. So next time you're having an intense emotion, whether it's anger, whether it's sadness, whether it's betrayal, whether it's suspicion, ask yourself, 
Am I gonna do something? Is this a useful emotion in terms of moving me forward? And when I use this as information, physical information from my body, that it's gonna get me to do something? Because if so, then let's do it. Let's, let's feel the feeling, let's make the phone call, let's make ourselves safe, let's do what's necessary, and then we'll move on. But if you ask that question and it's like, no, I'm not gonna do anything about it, then I gotta ask you, why are you simply wanting and choosing to feel angry? Why are you simply choosing to be upset or sad or feeling betrayed or whatever it is? If it has no purpose for you, you can choose differently. I'm gonna move on to something even more difficult. And, uh, and at first when I was reading in uh, the basic ideas of science of mind, I went, really? Can we go there? But then I thought, of course we can. We can go anywhere. Um, so, so, the book, so the book was written in about, uh, originally, in, in the 40s. And, and for those of you who have been around a while, you'll realize that the 40s were only not that distance from the Great Depression, right? The stock market crashed in like 1929, and so there was a, a whole generation, Ernest Holmes' generation, that had lived through uh, that dramatic financial trouble in the United States. And he quotes in the book a survey that was done of 4,000, mostly men, but 4,000 people who lost their jobs during the Great Depression. And the, the study uh, interviewed the people who had lost their jobs, and it interviewed the the companies that had downsized and got rid of those people. Now picture it, right? This is the 30s. Not a lot of social, social justice work going on in the 30s. Not a lot of unionization. Not a lot of people uh, singing workers' rights and things like that. You could kind of fire whoever you wanted in the 30s, and especially under the cover of the Depression. We don't have enough work, so we'll fire a bunch of people. So the survey was to figure out who did they fire. Guess who they fired? People that were difficult to work with. 85% of the people laid off in the Depression versus those that were kept on. So these were companies that just downsized, not companies that folded altogether. Those were a different situation. But the companies that downsized in the Great Depression mostly kept the people who were good team workers, people who were judged as being easy to work with, people who enjoyed coming to work, people who were fun to work with and had an interest in their jobs, the people that were lack isn't this terrible? Doesn't this remind you of seventh grade when Mrs. McMurtry said, you have a personality problem, mister? Or, or was I the only one that, that had Mrs. McMurtry? It could be just me, but, but I remember hating that. What about my personality, right? What is this thing about get a new attitude? And yet those 4,000 people were let go mostly on their attitude. Could it be that some people, their disposition, their personality, their attitude has a better way in the world than other people? Could it be that when you're a team player, people are more likely to put you on a team and enjoy your presence? Could it be that people that have a strong work ethic are more likely to find strong jobs to display that ethic in? Could it be that those people with a sunshiny and happy disposition draw to them more people that are happy? And so 
all kidding aside, how are you measuring up personality-wise and emotionally-wise with what you want to see more of in the world? And I know this is, this is a little different than what we've talked about before. When it involves our personality, when it involves who we view ourselves to be, it's a little harder, isn't it? But I am going there. And what I'm going to tell you is, if you want your life to be different, you have to be the difference in that life first. If you want to bring great love to you, it's time to learn how to be loving. Not to just assume that somehow it will come to you even though you're crusty and depressed. <laughs> right? It's like wanting it is fine, but it's not enough. Wanting abundance is a great thing, but thinking you'll get rich simply because you're thinking richer thoughts, it's not quite enough. You have to feel like a rich person. You have to have that sense of acceptance about the world. Your heart has to be open to receive if you want to receive. It's one of the reasons in Prosperity Month that we say uh, it's, it's an equal part of giving and receiving because there has to be that free flow in your personality, not just in your checkbook. Well, you can see where I'm headed, and I lied a little bit last week, or fit well, I don't really lie, but I think I said that I wouldn't give you any more homework this month. Well, I'm not, technically. <laughs> That's how I can get by. I'm not doing it technically. But what I am, so, so the homework for those of you who weren't here, and I apologize for, for setting it up this way, but for those of you who weren't here, the homework was five minutes in the morning and five minutes in the evening to imagine, to fully visualize your life in that newly changed and magnificent state. So if you're working on, I don't know, a job, you're picturing yourself at that new job with all of the wonderful qualities you have and, and getting the paycheck on Friday that you always thought you deserved and having the benefits you want. You know, if it was a relationship you were working on, then we picture the relationship and how wonderful it is and waking up to someone next to us and, and sharing our lives together and checking up after work and, right? So that's the homework. I'm gonna just tweak it a bit. Picture you in it. What are you like that is different than what you are right now? Because here's the rub, right? If you get all that stuff, if you don't change you, it will go away as quickly as it came to you because you're the person that doesn't have it. <laughs> right? Does everyone know what it is to, to have uh, someone who wants you but at arm's length? Did anyone go through this dating thing other than me? I remember last time I was dating, I kept collecting people who wanted to be loved at arm's length. It was kind of like, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Oh, I so love you, that's close enough. <laughs> <laughs> and I did that like three or four times. And what I realized was, I was doing everything right except changing this. That was a reflection of who I was at the time. And if I really wanted to bring love into my life, I had to become loving. I had to be willing to make commitments. I had to be willing to say, oh my gosh, maybe I could have a best friend that would last forever, despite the last two that finked out on me. <laughs> right? 
I had to be willing to give up that old way of being, those old thoughts, those old beliefs, those old knee-jerk reactions of feeling betrayed or whatever it was. I had to be willing to say no. For me to be in that picture of the loving relationship, I had to be different. I had to be accepting of people and their strange foibles. I had to be accepting of it being a blended life, not a visitor to my life, right? So that's what I'm tweaking your homework about. You need to be able to visualize you. So that five minutes in the morning, that five minutes in the evening, I'm not changing that. That's still your homework. But when you create that compelling vision of your life in the midst of beauty and, and, and joy and a, and a better job or a new apartment or whatever it was... Picture how you're changed in it. What do you need to become to support that? What does a rich person have to know about investing and and nurturing money so that it grows, not just spending it? What does a loving person need to know about maintaining a relationship, about, about times of trouble as well as the sweetness of having someone sleeping next to you at night, right? It's like, what am I going to change about me to be more accepting of a blended life? So that's my tweak to your homework. You want to be in a great new job? Then what is it to be a great new employee? You want to be rich and famous? What does it take in you that maintains that financial freedom and that fame? It's possible for all of us. The big dreams are totally accessible if we change what's necessary in us to really accept it, to really usher it into our lives, to really deserve it. And it isn't a deserving in terms of God thinking that some of us are more deserving than others. It's us stepping up to the plate. It's, it's uh, Nagruden saying, you know, doesn't anyone in your stories actually ever eat? It's us being able to say yes to what we need and what we want and making the changes within ourselves. I'm going to close with a a quote from Ernest Holmes out of this book and, of course, a prayer. He says, think of the qualities that you may particularly want in your own life, in your own world. Alertness, energy, initiative, speed, appearance, wisdom, faithfulness, poise, abundance, cheerfulness. Whatever it is, resolve to improve yourself first. You are the only one that can improve your personality. But it is so important, and anything which helps you do this is valuable to you. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, and your affairs will be renewed as you change your thinking, your emotions, and your personality. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence in this universe. There is this thing called God. I know it goes by many names, by, by Allah, by the divine feminine, uh, by the universe. Whatever name you think to call it, it simply is all there is. So that includes all the good, all the love, all the joy, all the peace, all the, all the happiness. Anything, any experience that one could ever want for is rolled up into this giant thing called God. And here's the good news. That includes me, and that includes you. We're right in the middle of that goodness. We are, with our outstretched hands and and outstretched heart, able to receive any of that goodness as long as we call to it.
as long as we resonate with it, as long as we become that thing which we desire. And I simply, on this day, claim a willingness on the part of each person in this room to do that extra piece of it, to begin working on ourselves so that we draw to us that big dream, that big hope, that desire of a lifetime, that greater love, that more abundance, that sweetness of life, that that greater beauty, whatever it is that is our heart's desire is ours as we become it. And I'm just grateful for this great truth, grateful for the power and presence of God as it shows up here every Sunday, just grateful for life. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. So glad to have you here today. So glad you're here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.